BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome on to a special Friday edition of Dunked on Prime. Dan, are you ready for your first 15 and 60? It's a lot of pressure to finish each team in four minutes. We stick to that really strictly here. Are we eating to the time right now? We better get going. The Atlanta Hawks are 38 and 38, of course. They're 17 and 16, also within one game of 500, of course, since our last update. Net rating, negative 0.1 is 18th in the league. Offensive rating, 116.1, 10th in the league. Defensive rating, 116.1, 21st in the league. Projected record, of course, 41 and 41 by Raptors. Of and of, of course. course, 41 and 41 by Elo. Playoff odds, Raptor 48%, Elo 47%. They keep going on this streak of being within one game of 500. They (laughs) lost to the Grizzlies, and you thought, okay, this might be it. They're underdogs against the Cavs. Nope, they beat Cleveland. So now Jared Allen has a groin strain (laughs) and can't play. And and we'll talk a little bit more about that game in a second. But yeah, now they're they're right back. So the streak have they not played since Monday? Yeah. So the streak's at 31. It's going to uh going to get to 31 because because they're gonna have one their next game. It's gonna put them one game up or one game down, and we'll see again from there. Uh, You mentioned that Cleveland game. Uh, I know we both want to talk a little more about that. Uh, Onyeka Kangu came off the bench. uh, Five for five, 11 for 12 on free throws, three blocks in 20 minutes. And I'm looking at their roster and I see, okay, now they're above the luxury tax line for next year. And I don't trust that they're going to pay it. And I I think the speculation is, well, they'll trade John Collins because there have been John Collins trade rumors forever. And that could, you know, clear off some salary. But I, I also think the goal at one point, and probably still is maybe it's less, uh, maybe it's more hopeful now, more aspirational. But I bet they'd like to trade Clint Capella and turn it over to Nkongu as, as the starting center. I don't know if Nkongu is ready for that. I'm starting to see some signs. Some of that is some slippage from Capella. Uh, using Seth rim protection stats, Nkongu is slightly better. Uh, 2.34 points saved per 100 at the rim. Capella's at 2.1. Neither of them is doing enough to deter shots at the rim. I think a lot of that is product of Atlanta's perimeter defense, Uh, but they're both pretty good at contesting. As the grayer it gets, I think the more it favors Capella, who's younger and cheaper, uh, I think you'd need to see a clear advantage for Capella uh, to favor him over Okongwu. I'm curious if you see anything there, and I I know you also have some more thoughts on that Atlanta-Cleveland game specifically. Yeah, it's been an interesting question ever since they drafted Okongwu number six overall, 
And I think they did that after they traded for Capella. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so they already had Capella at that point, but then they extended Capella for a couple of years that you know, they've done a couple of these extensions now, really three. They've got the, the Hunter extension that kicking in is going to be part of what is pushing them towards the tax. They've just brought back Bogdanovich and you know, they signed Capella to this extension that I think kicks in actually next year and is a little over 20 million a year. So now they would still have the problem of needing to get a backup center if they keep john collins actually be good right theoretically he could do that maybe yeah maybe maybe quinn snyder would be more willing to give that a shot although they largely have uh, issued that in recent years um yeah it feels like maybe that's more of a and then also a kongu is extension eligible mm-hmm. so that's another thing that could be thrown in there as well maybe i think you you just got to stay flexible on it maybe you trade a kangu because you could get something pretty good like he's not making nothing right either you know because he's the number six pick going the fourth year you get a pretty big bump up in those rookie deals so that's something else you could say so he's making eight million next year that's not nothing but you'd still again you'd probably have to get a backup center at least but maybe that's a third center type on the minimum do what Gorgie Jang did for them a couple of years ago when Kongu was out. Uh, I still, I don't think Kongu right now is as good as Capella. He's Agreed. just not quite as rugged, not as good of a post defender, uh, not as good of a rebounder. Doesn't have so, doesn't uh, have the pick and roll chemistry with Trey Young. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say it quite yet. But when you just kind of pencil in Capella for that general decline, but yeah, it is. I think that's really noteworthy. Like, okay, John, would they go to John Collins at center, and now they got Sadiq Bay, also extension eligible, by the way. Uh, and we'll see what the appetite is for Tony Wrestler to pay the luxury tax for a team that kind of profiles as a five hundred ish team. So yeah, I mean they have. A lot of good players. You do wonder about the ability to keep them. There's also DeJounte Murray is going to need a new contract mm-hmm. after next year. So it does feel like this upcoming season for the Hawks, like they'll have a full year under Quinn Snyder. I would say probably try not to do anything too drastic. Like, let's see what it all looks like under Snyder, who he likes. He's supposedly got personnel power. Maybe that's part of what he's trying to determine right now, uh, having spent some time around this group. Uh so yeah it's gonna be fascinating there's a lot of different ways they can go because they have yeah they've got john collins who makes a lot of money capella makes a lot of money and then they have younger backups at each position but who are also extension eligible so yeah a lot of decisions to make when you say don't do anything drastic what do you consider uh, more drastic breaking up this roster or paying the luxury tax because i have a hunt what atlanta ownership <laughs> considers more drastic <laughs> yeah well and maybe they I mean, they've got one more year next year where it's manageable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what are they under the tax? Yeah, they're kind of like right at the tax break. No, they're ten million over yeah. the tax next year. Yeah, so manageable as in you trade a Capella or a John Collins to dump salary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but now that they extended Bogdan and Bogdan, he could be traded six months from now. So that would be you know mm-hmm. September. It'd be doable, but uh, need some shooting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe would they consider trading Hunter? I mean, I think not. They don't really have anybody else like that. But this, it's a new regime now. Maybe Quinn Snyder won't be enamored of Hunter. Like, there are lots and lots of ways to go on this. Um, and, and as we know, the biggest determinant of whether the Hawks are going to pay the tax are looking at it's almost always based on how good the team was previous to learning where the, where the Hawks are. So this game against the Cavs on Tuesday, it was fascinating. It was Tuesday, not Monday and cleveland didn't have jared allen they didn't have isaac okoro we'll talk about cleveland here in a second and 
I, the things that stuck out from the Hawks standpoint, I mean, number one, that DeJounte Murray was able to jump four feet forward in a scissor kick and get a three-shot foul and then not get it overturned somehow. I thought that was one of the worst non-overturns of the season. I don't think we got a look at that in the two-minute report. I think it happened at like 204 or something like that. That was one of the biggest reasons that they lost. J.B. Bickerstaff was pretty apoplectic there. It was a big game, too, because it probably ended Cleveland's hopes of getting the number three seed, uh, you know, and Philly winning as well on Wednesday was a a big part of that. Uh, So they definitely, the Hawks don't really have a great matchup for two guards like Garland and Mitchell. You know, maybe they can put Murray on one of them. Mitchell was awesome. He sprained his ankle. He still had a a couple of threes late. Um, I thought it was interesting that they did go with John Collins rather than Sadiq Bey to close the game. And Collins, he's been shooting a little bit better this past month or so, uh, which is uh, somewhat encouraging. So I I thought that was pretty good. Uh, I mean, most of my observations are probably more Cleveland-based. So why don't we get to their fundamentals, Dan? The Cavaliers are 48 and 29, 21 and 12 since our last update. A plus 6.0 net rating is second in the NBA. Offensive rating of 116.9 is seventh. Defensive rating of 110.9 is second. Projected record by both Raptor and Elo is 52 and 30. And fourth in the Eastern Conference, they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, so I thought this game was uh, really interesting for them with Noah Coro. Lamar Stevens played 41 minutes. And maybe that's part of why Quinn Center felt more comfortable going to John Collins because Stevens really is a big offensively. It was still a struggle for him. And Donovan Mitchell, 44 points, 15 of 33. They really went after this game too. With uh, And maybe this is the time of year to do it because you know you have a week break coming up. And also they could well just be locked into their seed. And so they'll have plenty of time to rest guys. But Garland also... Played 41 minutes as well. I was really impressed with the game of Evan Mobley. He's starting to uncork a few of these with 20 points, 10 of 13 from the field, five offensive rebounds, six assists, four blocks. And in a game that they lost by two, the Cavs were plus 12 in Mobley's minutes. And they went to Diakite, who I think is on a two-way as their backup center with no Jared Allen. And interesting that they went there rather than with Robin Lopez at this point in time. And they just could not get anything done. They're negative 17 in Diakite's 13 minutes. He played a little bit with Mobley as well. But that's one of the things about Mobley that really impresses me is there just aren't that many bigs who can play 40 minutes. And he doesn't foul a lot. So he had a really, really impressive game, was making a lot of plays off the short roll because the Hawks were, they don't really have great man-to-man defense. They had to be aggressive. And uh, it's also really impressive. I mean, the Cavaliers being seventh on offense, Dan, like you would never think that. Like they've got a lot of good players, but they also just have like no spacing at all. And yet, you know, they're able to do that. So the other thing I wanted to focus in on a little bit for Cleveland is Isaac Okoro, where he's been shooting much better, around 40% on three since January 1st. Of course, he was really bad before that. Uh, He's at 62% on twos, so when he does drive, he finishes efficiently. And 59% contested finishing, that's a really nice improvement for him. I thought he blew way too many of those finishes. 59%, that's a solid number above the league average when contested. Now, from three-point range... 
94% of Okoro's three-pointers <laughs> are uncontested. That is the highest percentage in the league. So I wanted to do a little trivia here with you. Okay. Can you name the four players after Isaac Okoro who have the highest percentage of their threes taken as uncontested huh okay hmm and, and this is for guys who what did i set it at i think i said it like three who have taken at least a hundred threes i want to say was what it was okay somebody who's taking some but not making enough where defenses are going to respect them um yeah this is among guys among guys who take more than three threes per hundred possessions and have played more than a thousand possessions that was the uh, those were okay. the criteria I, I chose so so I have a hunt we're going to be near the criteria. Um, I'm, how about uh, Matisse Thibel? Ding! All right, all right. Nice nice work, nice work. Now I, I'm thinking, huh, I've got two Pelicans in mind, so I'm just going to guess them both, Herb, Herb Jones and Dyson Daniels. Herb Jones is correct. Dyson Daniels okay. is a, a little bit lower. He may not have made the criteria. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll give you the other two because they're pretty difficult to guess okay jay will jalen williams the big in oklahoma city oh yeah i wouldn't have gotten that i was actually he, making he's a put bunch up of enough them. like teams are yeah. actually starting to defend him he's I, I was surprised to see that i think it's just because it, i think that really more comes of like their dribble drive game is so good that and they always put their center on him that he's actually getting wide open shots like he's hitting them pretty well uh hmm. and then i will give you a hint on the last one this player is a san antonio spur Ooh, spur he might be the most anonymous spur. The most anonymous spur. I was like, I think Jeremy Sohan's like, or if, if not the most anonymous spur, the one that you like forget about him being a spur. Huh. <laughs> well, the, the clue is basically you'll never get this because I can name a bunch of spurs, but that means they're wrong by by definition. Well, but uh, but telling someone but right. that they'll never get it is, <laughs> is in and of itself a very good clue. That is true. Hmm. Who's not getting guarded out there in San Antonio? He's a wing who shoots threes very poorly for his career. So somebody who's been around long enough to have established that. This player was drafted in the lottery. Not by the Spurs, obviously. Came over in the Derek White trade. Uh, was Josh Richardson was like the main piece of that, right? Am I remembering correctly? There was one other player, however. There was another player in that trade who was a lottery pick and is still in San Antonio. Yeah, lottery pick of the Boston Celtics. Oh, well, he's not on the team anymore. Oh, lottery pick of the Celtics. I guess I could have put that together. Um, yeah. This is great. I, I, this I would love be a giveaway that, by now. I know. I, lo- I love that I have I fulfilled my own prophecy here that this player is just so ridiculously an option. I, you just never heard him talked about. I was about to say Stanley Johnson's not on the team anymore. Uh, lottery pick of the Celtics, who's on the Spurs now. He's had a bunch of hand injuries in his career. All right, I'll bail you out here. It's Romeo Langford. Oh, wow, yeah. They're not guarding him out there because he came in with more of a reputation as a shooter, really. You know, that it's weird. He, he was one of these guys who was like, oh, yeah, like he actually could shoot, but like he shot it like really poorly at Indiana, but it's because he had this hand issue. Hand injury, yeah. And then, no, no, actually he just can't shoot. <laughs> That's... The, who, who's the more surprising can't shoot as well as you thought uh, Celtics draft pick? Him or Aaron Neesmith? Because Aaron Neesmith probably like Neesmith. he was going to be that, like, like a was... lights out shooter. Yeah, that was, that was his reputation like he's actually been way, like way better on defense so all right let, let's get back to a core very here. interesting that that shocks me that that nobody's guarding him that's uh that's a great well great and, and i mean the most shocking thing is that they know enough on the scouting report to not guard him like he's you think he's so anonymous <laughs> that he's, <laughs> they wouldn't even know anything about him. okay 
So uh, Okoro is hitting 36% overall now in threes for the season. Uh, much better since the start of the new year. The expected quality of his threes, as you would expect, based on the fact that 94% of them are uncontested, is 38%. And moreover, 85% of his three-pointers crumb from the corner. Uh, and I thought this was also, and finishing up on the three-pointers, taking 3.7 per 36 which is it's it's okay i mean there's just only so many if you're taking 85 percent of your threes from the corner it doesn't matter what team you're on there are just only so many corner threes that can be generated for a player um so he's much more comfortable from there i also thought it was noteworthy that 75 percent of okoro's twos are assisted now maybe there's Mm. a little bit of assist inflation there of like okay you throw it to him he drives a close out and gets a layup they give you the assists which i've those are those are the ones they don't give you in Europe, but they give you here. Um, but still, that is a crazy high number for a wing that have 75% of your twos assisted. So I and then uh Dean Wade is someone Danny and I have really liked. And I, I thought this was very interesting for him because one of the narratives out of Cleveland has been, well, all right, Dean Wade, like we want you to be more aggressive shooting the three. Like that is your theoretical appeal over, say, Isaac Okoro or Karis Levert or uh, you know Lamar Stevens, something like that. Unfortunately, that hasn't really worked out for him. He shoots 40% on uncontested threes this year, 42% career. That's pretty good, right? The problem yeah. is when he takes a contested three, and really if you're going to up your three-point volume, that's what you have to do is take him a little more contested. He shoots 23.5% on contested threes and 26.5% career. So this idea that maybe he can up the volume, you know, maybe that's not going to work for him. He's at 35% overall. And so I think for JB Bickerstaff, if he's like, all right, if he's not going to be that much better of a shooter than Lavert or Isaac Okoro, and maybe he likes those guys defense better than dean wade i think there's some matchups i actually might prefer dean wade some bigger guys uh but then jb is like hey why why play this guy yeah that's interesting that uh yeah that makes it hard to to up the volume he definitely has the size where as long as the the opponent's not too quick it could be the better matchup also i like what lavert has done defensively uh, kind of as he's trying to find this role in cleveland i'm not saying he's like a stopper or anything but he's trying to find some way to contribute to this team it is amazing and like langford and Neesmith are kind of examples of this too just like uh Dante Exum is another perfect example of this yeah. like maybe even Lonzo Ball where it's like wow it's amazing how these guys get really good defensively as soon as they suck on offense <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean like it is kind of true though where it's just like they realize all right my offense isn't working i better find some other reason to stay on the court and you're just like like is there any way you could give us like both offense and defense like that <laughs> could, could you do that for us like is there any way you could have defended like this before you started to suck on offense <laughs> yeah you could have been pretty pretty good there there are a lot of players who don't figure that out uh you can find a list of them and the available free agents uh, yeah Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone 
is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and now helix offers 20 unique mattresses everybody sleeps differently and helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easy to slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us all right let's get to the washington wizards we'll kind of stroll up from the bottom of the alphabet here they are 34 and 42 16 and 7 wow we haven't done a east 15 and 16 forever uh since we last checked in wow that's that's remarkable uh negative 1.1 net rating is 23rd in the nba they are 16th on offense 22nd on defense they project for the 11th seed 37 and 45 for both projection systems just out of curiosity let's see how far behind the bulls they are projected to finish oh yeah they are still projected to finish two games behind the bulls so they're probably done but this recent bulls two game losing streak might just be enough of a sniff that they're not going to shut people down although beal and kuzma 
have not been playing so this is something that we talked about a little bit beforehand and uh, i'm very interested to see what you came up with because the wizards have this weird history in the last few years they have now had five straight losing season and so I thought maybe that's a pretty unique situation in NBA history to have five straight losing seasons. You know, they did make the playoffs one of those years as they, in a really bad East towards the end when the, the Russell Westbrook pushed them in, in 21, the one Westbrook year. So what happens to, like, how unique is it in NBA history to have these five straight losing seasons? But I don't think they've lost uh they've won fewer than 30 games during this stretch so they've sort of just been like this like you know play in 10th seed ish type of team for five years in a row so as you looked at that what are some of the things that came up so let's let's get the baseline on as you were reading those stats at the beginning uh yeah i'm like yep sounds like a wizard season like the last one and the last <laughs> I was one thinking the, last the same one. thing <laughs> Uh, so he, here are the Wizards records the last five years. We're going to go forward chronologically here. 32 and 50, 25 and 47, 34 and 38, 35 and 47, and then this year 34 and 42. It's going to be their fifth straight losing season. But like you said, no bottoming out, no terrible years. Yeah. That, that so, 25 and, and 47 was the bubble year. So they maybe yeah. they would have finished below 30 wins. They might have been like 28 or 29 or something uh, had that but, season played to its conclusion. But for your worst record during a five-year, year run of having losing records that's pretty darn good uh, yeah. so in nba history there have been 182 stretches of a team having five straight losing seasons and some of those overlap right if you go six straight years uh with right, losing right. season that's gonna be two seven is gonna be three okay the wizards have the seventh best win percentage during a five-year streak of losing seasons in their average season during this streak they won almost 42 percent of their games the only teams that have had a better winning percentage over five straight losing seasons are uh, the very best the we thought the wizards were the model of mediocrity but they've got to pry the the title from the cold dead hands of the charlotte hornets who went uh who won in an average season. i'm counting as average season every season counts equally even though the games weren't necessarily equal uh so the charlotte hornets from 2017 to 2021 i'm also gonna when we talk about this identify all seasons by their end year uh they won 43 percent of their games uh the fort wayne detroit pistons uh had like three different five streaks but they all overlap where they're at 42 43 percent uh the 2007 to 2011 indiana pacers won 43 percent that, uh, that's then, a fascinating one because they are we're gonna get more the, into that yeah yeah they're the model for the team that never tanked but actually it was the right thing to do right and then the one other one where it was a five-year run of losing seasons but a better record than the wizards uh was the san diego rockets from 69 to 73 they got their expansion year of being terrible out of the way and then had five years like this so there are some teams in modern times that i want to compare the wizards to and just i don't know can we learn any lesson uh you know well can i make a quick observation on a, on yes, a couple please. of these teams that charlotte team though the bubble year they were 23 and 42 did not make the bubble and were much higher positioned in the lottery like charlotte was kind of better on a year-to-year basis but they did have the one year where they dropped down enough to get a high pick which washington hasn't had so yeah the, I, I mean i don't know what other metric you could have used but washington has not only been had 
an overall really high win percentage for five straight losing seasons but they've never had even one individual year where they've dropped down enough same thing with another team that's on your list is uh 17 to 21 sacramento that team actually got number three in the lottery in 17 had to swap it for five with philly due to the (laughs) one of the worst trades in nba history and then uh and then in 22 they actually bumped up as well but that was outside of the the relevant period so uh yeah those teams at least had a top five pick whereas mm-hmm. washington is not the, the well, highest we'll, picked i think yeah. it's been nine we'll see, right and to be fair they haven't gotten their pick this year yet so we'll we'll see but obviously where they're going to finish in the lottery odds aren't looking great um so comparing them to some other modern teams i i looked up the full list that's what nate was reading from we talked about other teams on my list the full list of teams that had five straight losing seasons were within that span their average season they won more than 40 percent of their games looking for peers of the wizards i think those pacers teams are the ideal they drafted paul george number 10 uh Roy Hibbert was on the team. He needed a couple of years to bake. He wasn't ready to play. Danny Granger was a little slower to ascend, became pretty good, became a, a an all-star. And so they were patient with it and it worked out. And I think if the Wizards use that as the lesson, they're just going to end up overrating their own guys. They're going to say, yeah, Denny Avia, he's uh, he's Roy Hibbert. He just he needs more time. And you're just going to wait like it doesn't usually work out that way. So I, it's possible, right? We could look back. But I, I think they're asking for trouble if they do that. Uh, the fear is they're just a couple steps behind the yeah, Hornets. And, I mean, continue Paul, to George, be miserable. Paul, yeah. Paul George was like everyone, you know, if we were doing our top 10 prospects in the NBA after like his first or second year, like he would have featured prominently. Like he had shown by his third year, Paul George was like going toe to toe with LeBron in the East Finals. So right, you that, have to draft your Paul George this year if you're the Wizards. Right. Right. This is this is your chance, right? Like the, well, the idea and, is and that you have the supporting players. Moreover, Paul George was one of these guys. The reason he's available at 10 is because he didn't actually play that well in college, but he was a guy who had like high upside, which is the exact opposite of the guy that the Wizards have been <laughs> drafting this entire time. Yes. Yes. And maybe a little bit different uh, than what the Pacers had been drafting. Um, it, they can, The Wizards can change their drafting strategy whenever they want. I do think the fear is they're just a couple steps behind the Hornets who, you know, we mentioned that stretch and just continue to do nothing. The one that was interesting to me, uh, there, there are a lot of Sacramento Kings uh, five-year stretches on this list, uh, but the one from 1994 to 1998, that was right before the Kings got as good and interesting as they've been in my lifetime and they did it by trading Mitch Richmond for Chris Webber. The Wizards could do that. They could kind of. There's one big glaring exception that no trade clause. Otherwise, the Wizards could treat Bradley Beal like they're Mitch Richmond. Now, I don't know if they're going to find somebody as good and as ready to like completely blossom like no, Chris nobody, Webber was. Nobody would make that dumb of a trade at this point. They might they might trade a bunch of draft picks for Bradley Beal, but like to trade someone like Chris Webber who was younger mm-hmm. and better than Mitch yeah. Richmond at that exact time, like that nobody's going to do that. But Mitch Richmond basically is Bradley Beal, by the way. Like their games are yeah. like so yeah. similar. Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm just making it up a little more, but like they're yeah. very similar player. I'm just making up like who says could, this mm, the younger he's not as young as, as Weber was if I, if I remember right but just I'm just making something up what if the Mavericks signed and trade Kyrie to Washington for Beal and Kyrie finally just kind of gets it and maximizes his talent that was part of the reason Chris Weber was available there were at that point more doubts about his maturity his game like he it was still kind of a, a head scratcher of a trade but at the time it was more understandable I think than you're presenting it yeah and, and he, he had missed some time due to injury 
injuries and mm-hmm. you know they had some other power forward like they had Juwan howard there still they felt like they had too many power forwards you know whatever but yeah Wiz the mavericks might think they have too many lead guards they traded they traded away rasheed wallace to rasheed wallace actually <laughs> started his career on that team ben wallace was on uh that era of, of washington yeah yeah but it is i, I mean it's it's I thought this, I'm glad that I was correct that like this is a, you know, one of basically like the three or when, especially when you consider that, you know, those Detroit teams all overlap with each other. Yeah. It's uh, like a handful. It's like five teams that are like this. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really there at like the top of the, it, so this is kind of an unprecedented stretch. And so like, it makes me feel better that when we've been criticizing the wizards over this entire period, that like they are doing something that is weird, you know, that's yes. th- that, and that's even weird going back to a time when you know there wasn't as big of an understanding of like how you know how important the draft is and like you know the teams drafted i think a lot worse back and if you look at some of the guys who were number one picks like back in like the 50s 60s and 70s you're like what i never even heard of this guy (laughs) well in fairness it's some years it was because all the the good guys were territorial picks yeah maybe you're right about that yeah you you actually you have a better understanding of kind of how all that all that worked but but anyway yeah it was there, there's there's one other modern team that shows up on this list often and you know different stretches but it's basically the the sacramento kings from 2016 to 2022 and obviously the the kings look awesome right now they're they're having a season they should absolutely be proud of everybody in sacramento is feeling good should feel good that's one where i'm like i don't know i don't know if i see the lesson yeah. there and and well, well and that, I, I want to leave was, that to you that was possible because they got tyrese halliburton at 12 and they traded him for some bonus like that's yeah. why they're having the season that they had because they got halliburton at 12 and the wizards you know that was another like pretty good upside pick like the, the wizards just you would i know it's like oh nine ten oh, these are not great picks but you draft five years in a row there like you should be able to get some that's like so it, that's decent or at least tradable to like get you into being like a reasonable playoff team um okay let's move on here well just real quick is the yeah. lesson then that it's okay just to keep trudging along like this because it's, no. you can draft you can draft well in this range there are no, outs. I don't you're think not so, stuck it's, it's the fact that they have been trudging along and then that they also have failed at the same time and, and let's not forget too the goal wasn't to be <laughs> drafting number 10 every year the goal is to be drafting number 16 every year (laughs) (laughs) well put they just screwed up and they couldn't get to be drafted number 16 Uh, let's move on to the next team here the orlando magic are 32 and 44 16 and 17 since our last update a negative 2.4 net rating is 24th in the nba they rank 26th in offensive rating at 112.1 13th in defensive rating at 114.4 projected record from raptors 34 and 48 elo gives them one extra win uh they are still technically in the playoff race but minimally so i want to take a look at, at paulo bancaro as we're going to talk rookie of the year and and paulo i think there's been a little bit of backlash against him lately and the the top line numbers are not fantastic 52.8 percent true shooting 27.5 usage and overall in the season averaging 21 points per 36 minutes four assists per 36 minutes 7.2 rebounds 74 percent from the free throw line but only 29 percent from three and 47 percent from two and you know if you look through seth's stats is something we've talked about uh, apollo's at the bottom in terms of his, his inefficiency and you might some people might even say well he's really hurting the team with the number of shots that he's taking at his true shooting percentage that's like way below the league average way below the positional average 
average. And before we get into some of these stats, I very much want to provide context, which is the Magic might be the worst shooting team in the league. At the start of the year, Paolo was almost having to play point guard because they had no healthy guards. Then the guards came back, but none of those guys can shoot and really set Paolo up. You know, I think if you look at, for example, some of his play types, pick and roll roll man only comprises 3.6 percent of his possessions like he's really not getting set up very much uh 71.5 percent of his shots are self-created and he's not creating very well on that 43 percent e-field goal that's below 25th percentile this is per Seth's stats but he's not really being set up for easy shots he's either got to create or he's if he is getting set up for shots it's more as like a spot up guy because he's just got to kind of get out of the way because Markel Fultz can't really shoot and so when and when Paolo has to create he's driving into a crowd a lot and he's not the greatest finisher that's one of the biggest things that improves throughout an NBA career but he is at 48% on contested finishing for a 610 guy with good athleticism and strength that's in the 20th percentile in the league and particularly troubling too because he gets to the line a lot so a lot of his hard finishes because he's getting fouled get wiped away and so he still is taking a lot of difficult shots and he's 47 percent for two overall as i mentioned that's not fantastic and then on long twos he takes a fair number of those as you might expect is with his isolation and his pick and roll game he's only shooting 39.7 percent on long twos that's well below average as well taking a fair number of those 5.9 per 100 possessions uh the three-point shooting he's also taking hard threes his expected three-point percentage is 35 percent. remember we talked about a coro earlier his expected three-point percentage based on how open he is the location of those shots is 38 percent. that's about the top of the league obviously to be 35 percent expected three-point percentage that's more difficult shots than average for a guy who's not a great shooter and contested threes have really been difficult for him shooting only 23 percent on contested threes better 35 percent on his uncontested threes and about half his threes are contested half are uncontested um and again breaking it down a little differently self-created threes and threes off the bounce he's shooting 24 percent on those so if you just look in theory from his efficiency the number of possessions he's using you know, he's, he's not creating efficient offense uh that's really not helping i wanted to also just take a look at how he's finishing at the basket and this is something that we knew going back to the film in college he doesn't have the longest arms in the world and doesn't really have huge hands doesn't get great extension i will give him credit that he's willing to try and finish with his left hand you know that that gives me a good feeling that he, he can get better he's got good moves to get himself out he's got that harden extend the arms and go through the arms of the defender move um he, his finishing reminds me a little bit of dylan brooks like he's more explosive than him but the shorter arms a lot of kind of hook shots um and then when he goes up against defenders who have really good length like he does struggle i think part of the problem with his contested finish making is just the decision making his passes don't necessarily come from under the rim you know he's more kind of finding cutters or finding shooters and he'll just get too deep make a bad decision in particular like in the grizzlies game jaron jackson absolutely caused some huge issues for them uh, or for for paulo uh he just doesn't see the shot blockers coming and then he's just he's not like a great touch guy he'll get a little out of control going a little too fast the shots will kind of slam off the backboard russell westbrook style um 
But he just has got can improve his technique uh, a lot too. Like there are a few times against Brooklyn where he's matched up against Dorian Finney-Smith, good wing defender, but Paulo has a massive physical advantage on him, and Paulo wasn't really able to use his shoulder, use his body to create space and get a good angle to finish it off the board against Finney-Smith. He, he kind of forced up some difficult shots where you'd say, "Hey, like he should be able to get the separation, uh, overwhelm him physically." Uh, so yeah, that's that's uh i wanted to take another look at at paulo i mean i think he his case compared to jalen williams and walker kessler who will probably be my top three in rookie of the year all, all very interesting you have any thoughts on that dan because I, I don't think we're gonna do awards together of just paulo's case of like a inefficient creator versus like jalen williams and walker kessler you know maybe smaller roles but arguably done more to contribute to winning like what's your feeling on that for rookie of the year yeah my criteria for rookie of the year is which rookie did the most to help his team this year made the most positive contributions toward winning even if the team isn't winning but toward winning um it's a little different than than you i think like i give absolutely zero thought to who's the best prospect who's gonna have the best career who did you Uh, have in 2017 and beat or brogdon you know, I I, I I want to say I had Brogdon. It was neck and neck to me because I, I yeah. felt like playing so few games and Bede still, he did way more per game and Brogdon had more games. I think I uh, ended up going with Brogdon because he kind of picked up just a little bit down the stretch. But that was that was basically a tie to me. Um, I think that might give you a sense of, of how I evaluate it. I, obviously, Embiid was the better player when he was on the court, was going to have the better career if he stayed healthy. Um, but contributions that year, very close. This year, I also find it very close between all three of those players because I do think you have to take in the team context. What are, what are the Magic going to do if they're not having Boncaro create so much, right? Like, he didn't, I mean, he might have asked for this. He might like this role, but what's the alternative? What else are, I, are they going to do? I think this yeah. is... Well, and also just like part of what they're trying to do is develop him. Sure. Well. I'm, I'm saying even beyond that, because I'm again, I'm not looking long-term. If we're just talking about rookie of the year, I do yeah. think this is good for him, healthy for him. But also, it might just be the best of some bad options this year because they have an incomplete team. Um, he's doing okay at it. He's, you know, <laughs> there are some flaws, but he's doing better at it than I think Jalen Williams would. He's definitely doing better at it than Walker Kessler would. At the same time, I recognize that those other players are doing better within their more limited roles so it's very close i could i could uh, i was actually looking at rookie of the year earlier uh today and i i do have the same three and i could be talked into any order at this point yeah it's it'll be interesting to talk about that next week so uh last thing here paulo not really doing much as a rim protector he's contesting 19 percent of opponent shots at the rim which is kind of a average ish for a power forward and but allowing 66 percent shooting on those plays so I mean, the, the magic have a lot of guys who are big but don't really contest it very well at the rim but i think paulo can get better there he's also been asked to do more defending on the perimeter uh, than maybe some power forwards are actually like getting through like he's guarded jason tatum against the celtics for example Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. All right, let's move to the Toronto Raptors now. They are 38 and 38, tied with the Hawks uh, for the 8 9. 19 and 14 since we last checked in on them. It's starting to look a little bit better since uh, their deadline moves acquiring Pirtle. They are 10th in the NBA in net rating, plus 1.5, 13th on offense and 11th on defense. And they project for 41 and 41 per Raptor, but 40 and 42 per Elo. Uh, that would be the ninth seed with both, but they would be tied with the Hawks in the former circumstance. Raptor likes them at 50% chance for the playoffs. Elo, 44%. Most important thing about Toronto, Dan, are they still the best in both their turnover percentage and opponent turnover percentage this season? Shout out to Danny. Yes, they are. Uh, 0.7 percentage points ahead of the Hawks for offensive turnover rate. 0.7 percentage points ahead of the Heat and Thunder for forcing turnovers. Uh, what a unique way to to play. So we mentioned that uh, Jakob Pertl, they're looking a little bit better uh, with him. And I, I looked at him very early on, a couple of weeks in, and I found that he wasn't really improving their rim protection. But overall, the numbers quite striking with Pertl on the floor now uh, almost a month and a half after the trade. I think anybody who listens to this podcast regularly uh, knows uh, how highly both you and Danny think of Pertl's defense overall, especially in previous years. So I don't think anybody was, is surprised that the Raptors defense, even if he's not quite where he was, the Raptors are defending a little better. But I'm pretty surprised that their offense has been so much better with Jakob Pertl. There's some different ways we could slice this. Uh, but before the trade, they were scoring 114 points per 100 possessions. Uh, with Pertl on, they're at 117. Uh, with Pertl off since the trade, they're at 109. Uh, but especially with that starting lineup where you have Van Vliet and Anobi, those guys can shoot you know, Van Vliet very well uh, and Anobi a little less so, but you know, that's fine. But when you have a front court of Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, 
and Pirtle, I really thought the spacing was going to get gummed up. The offense wasn't going to work. Uh, those four other starters pre-trade, they were scoring 115 points per 100 possessions. With Pirtle as the fifth guy, it's up to 121. So I wanted to dig in a little bit about why that's happening. That, that's uh, remarkable, too, because the guy he's replaced largely in that grouping has been Gary Trent, who is, <laughs> in theory, maybe their best shooter. So replacing him with a rim-running center and getting better on offense is a surprise. So the the Raptors basically had one of the lowest assist percentages in the NBA in terms of the percentage of baskets assisted uh, without Pirtle. And now they're around the top quartile when he plays. The ball is just moving a lot better. Some of that is Pirtle. Some of that is who has the ball in their hands more. Gary uh, Trent Jr., not much of a passer. Uh, Pirtle's doing some good things as a screener, as sort of the hub in the DHO game. He's developed some good pick and roll chemistry with Fred Van Vliet. And I just, I, I feel like more is going through Fred Van Vliet, who, you know, is the point guard. And there's just more clarity about what this team looks like with Pirtle. Even if he's not the one always with the ball. Before, I kind of felt like, well, is Van Vliet going to run this possession? Or Scotty Barnes? Or Siakam? Or is this when OG Ananobi feels like it's his turn to create something? And it just felt like they couldn't get quite into the same rhythm. Now I, I see a stronger identity there. I'm still not sure how much I trust it. Like you watch uh, these lineups play and the spacing still doesn't look great. But I do think good screening, which they have, and good passing can go a long way in overcoming some of these spacing concerns. And Pirtle's ability as a finisher, you know, that that matters too. I think sometimes when we talk about spacing, uh, obviously the ability to shoot three-pointers is like the simplest and best way to space the floor. That's where you should pay the most attention. But every once in a while, I think we overlook, you got to finish at the rim too to draw defenders to the rim. And, and Pirtle's finishing ability, uh, I, I think, changes a little bit. Again, I don't necessarily trust this as I watch it, but the results are pretty good. And I think you got to credit the Raptors passing and screening to making the most out of these spacing concerns yeah I, uh, the theory of this i, I think uh, has worked within what they're trying to do and i was critical of the acquisition i was like okay well you already basically ha- don't have enough shooting and scotty barnes is basically a center on offense and then like og and pascal are basically power forwards on offense and so you know is he going to take minutes from scotty barnes and like no that, that's not what's happened at all and instead uh, some of the things that Pirtle does have really worked i mean i thought you mentioned a, a key point and Pearl had been doing more of operating at the elbows uh, with the Spurs. He had had improved his passing this year. That went a little under the radar. And so, yeah, having more of a chance to do that stuff. And yeah, again, having a screener in pick and roll that I think has helped to organize the offense a, a little bit more as well. So they're not as isolation heavy. So they look a little bit more like a, a normal offense. And then you mentioned how good they've been with him on the floor. If you go to clean the glass, they are there. He has helped them make themselves more more raptorsy which is something that i did note maybe on defense could help because they just haven't had the rim protection so yeah that 108 on defense with purtle on the floor like that's getting to where they need to be to be really interesting you know and 10 plus 10.1 overall with him on the floor and they get 32 percent offensive rebounds when purtle is on the floor that's uh, bumped up by quite a bit uh, defensively, they are forcing opponent turnovers on 19% opponent possessions, which is a batshit crazy number when Pirtle is on the floor. But now they're also not giving up. Well, it's actually really interesting. I mean, they still are actually, you know, 108 is a great number uh, to be giving up defensively, but they're still 
31st percentile in e-field goal percentage against. It's just they're dominating in the turnover battle. And I mean, 19% turnovers. Turnovers are pretty important math-wise. Like we've seen teams, the Wolves, the Bulls, who if you turn the other team over enough, you can make a respectable defense just out of that because it's so powerful to just erase a possession like that and not to mention the fact that it also helps your offense and then uh they're also just defensive rebounding a lot better uh, with him on the floor also so uh and uh yeah I, I think it's it's working as well as you could have hoped uh and which again was not the case when i looked at it a little bit ago but that's really turned around and uh, been pretty impressive I just want to clarify when I said I don't trust it, that's offensively. Defensively, all the things yeah. you brought up were yeah. more predictable. So that that looks more sustainable to me. Yeah. And having Portal behind these guys has allowed them to ramp up the pressure even more. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of the theory. And that was a big part of what the Raptors did back when they had Gasol and Ibaka. And not having those rim protectors the last couple of years has really, I think now you can argue that Nick Nurse should have tried something different from a system perspective. <laughs> I certainly uh, am of that opinion. But but if he's going to play this way, they needed a rim protector, and uh, that's been provided. The Milwaukee Bucks are 55 and 21, 28 and 5 since our last update. They're 5.1 plus 5.1 net rating is fourth in the NBA. They're 11th in offensive rating, first in defensive rating. Projected record 58 and 24 by both systems, and they're obviously going to make the playoffs. Yeah, they got absolutely destroyed. I didn't have a chance to watch that game yet uh, by Boston last night. Yeah, I turned. I turned that on a little late and said uh, i was too late it wasn't that late but it was too late <laughs> yeah so not too fantastic there but they're still looking like uh, they're in pretty decent shape here for the one seed their remaining schedule they've got philly at home that'll be an interesting one and then they've got at washington chicago at home on a back-to-back memphis who probably won't be trying and then at toronto so they will actually be able to impact possibly the play-in race and who they might play in the first round. Whereas the Celtics, who we'll, we'll talk about in a future episode, as we will Philly, uh, they've got Utah tonight. Then they also play Philly, and then they've got a set against Toronto, followed by Atlanta. So it's very interesting. Both the Bucks and the Celtics should be able to exert some influence over who they might end up playing should I mean, they choose to do so. You're one step ahead because it's so important to get the ones seed i mean the because of last night the the celtics now have the tie break over the bucks i do think the bucks will still probably get the number one seed uh, but i think that race is a, a little bit tighter and yeah. you get I mean, that if, you, like we could be one game away here right like if philly beats mm-hmm. the bucks and you know you, you would think that philly's going to be going hard there they've got enough pressure on them from behind with cleveland although there's a two-game difference there and they have the tiebreaker so it's still maybe not but uh, i think philly will be trying trying to win that game hard too because then they can wrap it up and rest their guys if they mm-hmm. if they do uh and also just you know joel is going to want to beat Giannis for his mvp stuff so yeah i mean the bucks could easily lose at home to philly celtics and, are going to beat utah you would think and then you're like one game difference and the celtics have the tiebreaker so it's uh, this could be a fight to the end and and that's obviously so important because you want to be the one seed so you only have to play one of the celtics or 76ers as opposed yeah. to two teams in that top three in the east yeah and particularly for the bucks like i don't like that sixers matchup for them i think the Cavs they'll take care of them pretty easily i, I think you know celtics mm-hmm. are probably feeling similarly even though i think the celtics match up better with the sixers so uh, let's get to Milwaukee here. And what I wanted to talk about with them is Giannis Antetokounmpo and the superficial numbers. I know he 
he's in some ways getting more MVP love this year than he did the previous two years. He obviously won two in a row before that. And, you know, the Bucks are absolutely on fire, 28 and five since we last checked in on them. And Giannis, though, overall has not been as efficient this season. And he's been such an interesting player in his evolution. The thought was always like it probably his for a guy to have his best shooting season be his rookie year <laughs> is pretty crazy like he actually was like we thought he was gonna be a good shooter his rookie year and then i don't know he changed his form and and you know, who knows who to blame for that a lot of people blame jason kidd and so except for one year he's been on this like flat slash downward trajectory with the jump shot but you thought particularly after the 21 playoffs where he showed a little bit of off the dribble game hitting the mid-ranger hitting the hook shot had that i think it was 17 and 19 in that classic game six to close out phoenix had 50 and then last year he actually started hitting some jumpers uh he the three-pointer still was not particularly a weapon but he was 42% from 3 to 10 feet and 42% from 10 to 16. Like enough where if he's being guarded by a center who's backing off on him, he could make that shot and force it to be respected. Or if he's got a smaller player on him and just doesn't have a lot of space, he can back down and get to that hook shot, which also was effective. And so this year, all of that's great. Oh, and last year also he was... 72 percent from the foul line 69 percent the year before and so you thought all right you know he's really uh on the upswing here and you know even as recently as 17 18 he was 76 percent his first mvp year 73 percent nope back down to 65 percent from the foul line this year and then three to ten feet 35 percent in that's like in that upper paint area that's really rough 35 percent and then on, on short jumpers 34 percent this year and oh by the way also having his second worst three-point shooting season ever at 28 percent at a minimum at least he's now really reduced the number of off the dribble threes that he's taking 62 percent of his threes are now assisted that's up from 42 percent so he's at least trying to just take them more as catch and shoots in the flow of the offense when he's not getting guarded and not part of the main action so i at least appreciate that aspect um but of course he's been attacking ever more and his usage is up again and he's his dunks are actually up this year even though he's older so he again has become almost this like more of a caricature of himself than ever this season i wonder i mean he's at a career high usage percentage and i've i've just kind of struggled to evaluate is he doing what he thinks is best right now is he uh how much is he doing more because chris middleton has missed so much of the season how much is he trying to explore the studio space so he's prepared for some other things like i I'm very curious how he bends his game uh, in the playoffs when it matters. Well, uh, just to give some more context to, towards that last regular season, just in terms of the play type usage, transition is the biggest thing. Both seasons, 27% of his possessions coming in transition. I was actually surprised that his efficiency is not that high in transition. Are free throws uh, weighing that down? That would be my guess, yeah, because he gets fouled a ton. You know, maybe that's the problem. And maybe he's just had some bad luck with free throws. But yeah, so, uh, you know, only, I mean, still, it's very, very good offense compared to anything else that you might be doing. So he still is an incredibly fearsome transition weapon. But yeah, he's only basically 1.15 on average the last two years. Pretty consistent there in transition very interesting that isolation actually composed a lot more of his offense last year 
and that was 18 percent of his offense last year down to 14 percent this year and he's done a lot more pick and roll ball handler stuff hmm. this year which i think is fascinating now they've played more with some smaller guards on the floor but he's actually doubled his pick and roll ball handler basically from 6.7 percent that's up to 11.3 percent so pretty close to doubling it and yeah, the efficiency there has been about the same, you know, 0.94 points per possession, which this in this day and age is actually lower. Um, yeah. I, I think you're off a line there. His pick and, that's on uh, post-ups. His pick and roll oh, ball thank you. handler yes, I am. Yeah, yeah, this, I, has been very good. Yeah, see, I'm on my laptop. You got the, the good monitor. Uh, yeah, <laughs> pick and roll ball handler actually is better than it than it was before. Yeah, 1.04 last year was uh, 0.93. So, yeah, so so that's improved. Maybe that's why they're doing more of it than they had. And, of course, the spot up is really completely dragging down his numbers, <laughs> and he's taking more spot ups this year than he had before. And post up, kind of about the same, but that efficiency is down some this season. And, and just, I think a lot of people know this already, but just to be clear, these are plays he finishes with a basket a shot or a drawn foul or a uh i guess a basket a shot uh a missed shot and uh, and a turnover that's the other one and so i i guess i'm curious of some of this uptick like is it because he's keeping the ball more in passing less in some of these situations like i'm curious how that looks and i mean obviously the usage the traditional usage percentage being so high that's a good indicator of him just keeping it more yeah now of course everyone knows the context that chris middleton hasn't been available as much and Giannis, i did think this was interesting though that he actually about the same percentage this year uh pick and roll roll man six percent about the same last year so that's uh and i do think the free throws is weighing him down i mean that's mm-hmm. being a lot worse on free throws and to be up 72 percent down to 65 percent as the guy who draws basically the most free throws in the league like that's a, a big part of why uh, his overall efficiency has declined and the Bucks being 11th on offense I mean that's not as amazing and, and so you still think about him particularly in the half court as you know not someone you would probably think of as like a top 10 offensive engine in the half court I mean maybe when you throw in the transition it, it's a little bit different and obviously we know about it, his defensive contributions so yeah we'll, we'll uh I mean the the true tale will be told in the playoffs because Giannis right. was unbelievable in the playoffs last year until he just completely ran out of gas in the second half of game seven and they'll, they'll have hopefully a more normal playoffs this year more help they've got more depth uh should it looks like pretty much everyone's gonna be healthy on this team going into the playoffs they got jay crowder now like they this is the year for the bucks and they're looking like they're gonna be the number one seed even if their point differential has not been quite at that level let's talk now of the 44 and 33 new york knicks 19 and 14 since we last checked out on them seventh in the nba in net rating plus 3.3 fourth on offense the new york knickerbockers in this era of inflated offense coached by tom thibodeau are the fourth ranked offense in the nba 19th on defense and they are projected for the fifth seed 47 and 35 by both of the projection systems a lock to make the playoffs how are they doing are they pretty much locked into five at this point it's looking that way yeah they got i mean the nets are two games behind in the loss column 
And they're only that close because of the wins they banked with Durant and Kyrie. Yeah. Now, the Nets do have a few easy games left. They've got Utah. They've got Detroit. They've got Orlando. Whereas the Knicks have Indiana on the last day of the season. We'll see whether Washington. So actually, no, the Knicks have two Indiana games still. So it's, I'd say these schedules are relatively equivalent. Who's got the tiebreaker there? I'm not mistaken. They split the season series. Oh, uh, those are always annoying. Uh, yes, they did too, too. So the next tiebreaker would be? Uh, conference record on alternating mondays <laughs> uh, it would be a division leader which uh, is neither of these teams and then it would be a division one loss percentage for teams in the same division i kind of like the, the alternating monday record better actually <laughs> that's actually within the division the knicks are eight and eight and the nets are seven and eight so still to be determined there <laughs> There's a reason I didn't put in the tiebreaker in our sheet. And for you to just bring up like, oh, who has the tiebreaker? If it was easy to do, the tiebreaker would have been the sheet right in front of you that I put together. <laughs> what are you doing here? I'm sorry. I thought I thought you just didn't get to it or something. I, no, I no, no, no. All the tiebreakers that are like settled, enough, they're in there. It's the ones that are like four down where you know we're gonna get to win loss percentage against playoff teams in the other conference that's a real one you know we gotta uh, wait and may, see may, may a culpa dan I, i'm sorry uh okay so <laughs> uh, back to what we actually are supposed to talk about here with the knicks julius randall sprained his left ankle the knicks have been incredibly healthy up until the last three weeks or so where first it was Jalen Brunson with this foot issue then he had a hand issue he did come back uh, Seth and I talked about their game against Miami which they did win despite the absence of Randall for the second half and he's supposed to be reevaluated in two weeks that's two days before the playoffs they'll surely at least get that week off and not have to play in the play-in uh he's second in the NBA in minutes behind Mikhail Bridges but what are they going to do now in the absence of Randall you think well let's talk through some options because you know this is he is such an important player for them he's done so much for for them uh somebody who deserves all nba consideration um this, this is going to matter a lot because given that timeline, he might not be ready for the start of the playoffs. So I think it's kind of under discussed that size kind of equals defense. Like the bigger you are, the easier it is to defend, especially in the regular season. Uh, but just overall, and that's not 100% true. You can be too big and too slow. That That is real. But teams that are bigger tend to have an easier time. And I believe Tom Thibodeau agrees with me on that. He does not often like to go small. It's uh, part of the reason Julius Randle plays so much because he's a big sturdy power forward who can fit in defensively with what the Knicks want to do yeah even if it hasn't been great this year he sucked on defense last year but he he he's correct and then every other year thing he was he's I'd say he's better this year than was two years ago um well, I don't know but about you, that. They were like the number four defense two years ago, and they're him individually this year. But. Sure, I think it's comparable. the The middle year is the is the maybe outlier. Maybe next year we'll see he sucks again. Maybe it's every other year. So let's talk about some options. Uh, his primary backup's been Obi Toppin. Is Obi Toppin is not the defender Julius Randle, yeah, and that's who they started in the second half on Wednesday, and then Obi Toppin got the Keith Bogans never came mm-hmm. back in after playing like eight minutes. Is Thibs going to trust Obi Toppin with a bigger role? Uh, I have some doubts. Um, they could play Jericho Sims and kind of still be big. I'm not sure how good they'd be defensively. They'd definitely be giving up plenty offensively. Is that worth it? I would lean toward not. 
but I don't know what Tom Thibodeau thinks. And then really the third primary option is they could go small. RJ Barrett talked about his uh, willingness to play power forward. And however you want to call, who you want to call the power forward, if he's paired with Josh Hart, maybe that could work. I don't know if Thibs is ready to go small, but I always thought Barrett would be more of a power forward than like a shooting guard on the positional spectrum. When he came in the league, he's got good physicality. As more of a power forward, his ball handling is a major plus. His shooting is less of a minus. Now defense is an issue, but I don't really see a great alternative now. Like I don't see where you're going to get like a real good defensive lineup without Randall rebounding especially could be an issue with Barrett at power forward but Hart is a really really good rebounder for his position he's got the toughness to defend bigger players whoever you want to call the power forward there if they're kind of the forward combo that could be good and then here's what this would unlock the Knicks have a lot of playable guards right if you're putting Barrett and Hart at forward it opens the door I I don't know you can play uh Brunson anymore but you can get plenty of minutes for quickly Grimes McBride I think even Evan Fournier could be playable in this situation situation right he's overpaid he's overhyped for when he signed his contract but like maybe he could play and and so i think that's the value uh seth i thought put it really well in the last pod uh, as like i forget which knicks games you guys were 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 watching that night but as these guards the miami game it was the my yeah yeah these guards are flying around he described it like a villanova team like these guards may be uh the overpaid one on the bench accepted they're tough they're physical like they're willing to go to villanova yeah yeah (laughs) um and, and so I, I think that's the, the route to go. I mean, maybe that in the combination of, of more Obi Top, and I really don't like the Jericho Sims solution. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Thibodeau kind of opined on that one. That's why I included that. They've got a week and a half. Yeah. To they have that. played Sims and one of the other bigs together at like very rare intervals. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say, you know, I'm never the Keith Bogans kind of came up because it was so ridiculous that he started him and particularly because Bogans was a wing and they just wasn't one of their best players. But I think to you do it to get some minutes out of Toppin. Oh, for sure. And I think it makes sense for some of those to come right at the start of games when most other teams will also be starting big. Agreed. Now, maybe you don't play him for eight minutes. Maybe you play him for four and then you bring him back in for what would have been his normal bench stint where you could also maybe get away with him. Really? That's what you do? You wouldn't just play Josh Hart to exhaustion off the bench in a shorter window? Yeah. Well, that's called the Miritich if we're going with (laughs) Tiv's history. Yeah, where you play him the last 18 minutes of each half i think josh hart is up for it i wouldn't i wouldn't do that to him but i i bet he'd be willing yeah yeah so uh it's gonna be interesting i I mean i think you know randall has had a good year there i mean he honestly despite being bigger gives them a lot more shooting than they're gonna get i mean he hasn't he's hitting like 34 percent, but he's taking like i think some crazy number like eight per 36 minutes or something you know he's really focused on shooting the three more and also he makes what i like about him offensively is he makes it a lot harder to go smaller and switch against the knicks because he will beat up some of those guys in isolation um so you know i imagine they're going to be finishing games with barrett at the four i mean barrett's kind of halfway between a two and a three uh but now they may also just be faster and maybe a little bit better defensively and a little higher intensity without randall i'm very interested to see what the team looks like without him because as well as he's played in and i appreciate the way he's improved his game defensively shooting threes to fit in better with other players what will it look like if they just say all right we're going to play brunson and quickly together more and we're just going to run everything through them and make this team kind of look like the cap 
Yeah, so here, uh, you you can look at what they've done and see a little reason for hope. So uh, with Randall off and Brunson on from cleaning the glass, uh, the offensive rating 123.5, defensive rating 110.5, plus 13. But a lot of those lineups have Isaiah Hartenstein and he's the more skilled offensive player. He's the backup center. Like they're not just going to demote Mitchell Robinson. So what does this look like offensively with Mitchell Robinson instead? Like that's more of an unknown. So you, you, there's an, enough of what the Knicks have shown to have some reason. You say, I could see how this could work, but it's, it's far more theoretical than you'd like this close to the playoffs. BP added more than $70 billion to the U S economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, who's up next here? The Miami Heat are 40 and 37, 16 and 17 since our last update. Net rating of negative 0.8 is 22nd in the league. They're 25th offensively, 7th defensively, projected for 43 wins by both systems, 83% chance at the playoffs per Raptor, 80% per ELO. Um, John and I talked about the Heat a little bit yesterday. Seth and I talked about them a lot after their rather desultory offensive performance on Wednesday. And I wanted to talk about the two guys that I think were so important to what they did last year and those guys' struggles this year. And that's uh, Max Struess and Gabe Vincent. Struess, just uh, some of the top line numbers here for him. A year ago, 61% true shooting in a lower offense environment, 18% usage from three-point range, 41% taking 10 per 36 minutes. This season, 55% true shooting, but same usage, 17.6, down very slightly actually taking fewer of his shots uh, as three-pointers this season. Uh, 71% this year, 78% last year. Oddly, particularly given that he was starting in the playoffs, you forget that he actually wasn't playing that much early on in the year. He has now actually played way more minutes this year and way more minutes per game as well. This season, Struess, 29 minutes a game. He was 23 last year. Started 28 games this year, 16 last year, though those 16, again, were kind of towards the end when they tried the Oladipo experiment lost a bunch of games in a row and then Eric Spolster was like fuck this I'm putting Max Struess into the starting lineup so not having as good of a season obviously where has that decline come from and really it's just been shooting mostly across the board there have been some changes in the shot profile we'll get into that but last year on uncontested threes Max Struess shot 49 percent this year that's down to 42 percent still a solid number but not a crazy elite one and the other thing that's really interesting is this year he's actually taking a larger percentage of his threes uncontested than he did last year, which you think he has more of a reputation as a shooter this year. But no, actually 28% of his threes are uncontested this year, 24% last year. That's still a low number. Like he's getting a lot of respect and just to get up the number of threes that he's getting up almost nine per 36 minutes, you got to take a lot of contested threes. The even bigger decline though has been on his contested threes last year. And again, 
I mean, you remember, Dan, the type of shots he would take. It's those same oh, yeah. Duncan Robinson type of shots coming off of handoffs, just hot potato out of your hands the moment you catch it. Uh, 39% on his contested threes last year. That's 31% mm. this year. Um, so this year, he's actually making about the percentage from three that you would expect given the quality of his looks. But when you're, and that still has value, but if you're really going to be an elite shooter, you want more than that. Last year, based on the quality of his attempts per sets, he made 5.9 percentage points better than expected. This year, he's about pretty much like right in line with the quality of the shots he's taking. And the quality of shots he's taking are difficult ones. So that's why he's at 35%. Uh, that 5.9% more than expected last year, to give you some context on that number, that was top five in the league among guys who took 300 or more three-point attempts. Mm. So he's down. Uh, and I mean, maybe he was just above his head last year. Maybe Duncan Robinson had the same thing happen to him. And both those guys came out of nowhere, got playing time that wasn't expected because they were just hitting it in a way that you didn't think uh, was going to happen. I thought it was interesting that Struess got three fouls in three minutes on Wednesday and then went out of the game, never came back in. They put Duncan Robinson in. He made four out of six. Maybe Robinson will get more of a shot in them. Gabe Vincent, another guy who's taken deep threes last year. You know, not necessarily like flying off of screens the same way that someone like Struce or Robinson was doing, but you know, off the dribble if you left him open or he could spot up from deep. Uh it was kind of weird though. And you always wonder about guys like this. It kind of makes you think maybe more so that what they're doing could be unsustainable. He shot a higher percentage on contested threes at 38%. He was 36% on uncontested threes. So and the overall, based on the quality of shots that he took, he was shot 1.8% higher than expected to get to his 37% overall. But I thought he was taking pretty difficult three-pointers. I mean, that would be... 35% as the average. Again, that's below the league average. So he was shooting better than expected. This year, he's at a minus 2.8% based on the quality of his shots. So he's at 32.7% from three and 35.5% expected shot quality. So his shot quality is actually slightly up from last year. Last year, the shot quality expected was 35.1% per assessed model. And that contested three percentage that was so good at 38%, that is now down to 30.5%. And the uncontested shots, he's still shooting about the same. So that's where the big decline has come for Vincent, although again, he had a nice game. One of the, he and Robinson were kind of the two Heat who played well offensively in that Nick game. So maybe he's turning a corner a little bit. But yeah, I mean, not getting anything from Vincent and of course Kyle Lowry, and that's been an absolute killer to just have a total cipher at that point guard position for Miami. Yeah, very little ability to get the team running, to get some easy baskets because this half court offense is struggling without the shooting. I just. I feel like with the shooting and the, the Miami's defense has slipped some lately too. You know, I, I just feel like you plug one leak, you're filling another leak, or maybe even uh, filling neither. Kevin Love is starting. Uh, you know, the, I think they want him to be providing some of this shooting. He's not only at 28% on uh, 4.83 pointers per game. You know, they're bringing in Duncan Robinson. He's not going to fix the defensive slide. Like, I, it's hard to see a solution other than they need these guys who played well last year just to play better to shoot better and it's also fascinating that both vincent and Struess are free agents i i would take a flyer on the, those guys particularly when you consider that miami has some salary issues 
and that probably Kyle Lowry not going to be on this team next year they're probably going to have to move on from him I mean maybe that means they re-sign Vincent but they're only going to have a small budget to do so and both those guys give what they did two years ago I think you know, Vincent is a solid defender at that position Struess is mm-hmm. I mean he's probably a better defender than a lot of these like shooting specialist types and sure but a little bit in the post <laughs> yes but that matters only if he's still a shooting specialist himself. Sure. But I'm saying yeah. I would take a ri- like I might yeah. overpay these guys compared to what they did this year, just based on the chance that they might get back to what they were two years ago and you could actually get a value contract. Reasonable. Um their pro- their true value is probably somewhere in between. Indiana, 33 and 44, 10 and 23 since we last checked in on them. Tyrese Halliburton has only been intermittently available during that time. They're actually now the 26th net rating in the NBA negative 4.0 20th on offense 27th on defense projecting for 35 and 47 per raptor elo likes them for the same they're pretty much done in the playoff race i talked a little bit about what it might look like for them in the lottery chase which seems more important now because they have pretty much uh looks like their two best players are not gonna be playing yeah rick carlisle came out and said like yeah they might not play uh do you want that, that means they're not gonna play exactly <laughs> once they've even acknowledged that in any way yeah th- that's about it and, you know this this team is clearly just running out the clock on the season so i don't think we need to spend too much time on them i mean it's it's clear without halliburton they are just not the same 28 and 28 with him 5 and 16 without him offensive rating 117 with him on 109 with him off like it just doesn't work without him but watching them down the stretch a little bit uh, one player who's really caught my eye is Isaiah Jackson uh, he was the number 22 pick in 2021 he's getting a little more run with miles turner also kind of in this uh proto shutdown mode and it's just hard not to notice isaiah jackson because he runs the floor so hard like he is he's athletic and he's you know trying right you see his his motor as as he gets up and down the floor he fouls a lot he rebounds pretty well uh he's mainly operating as a pick and roller Uh, i like how he doesn't need much space to get over the rim you can you can get a, a pass to him and he can go up and dunk it if he has to do more than that he can get sped up but also showed some touch with his left hand a little bit of a move here or there um not sure exactly what they have on their hands with uh isaiah jackson but he's getting a little more opportunity down the stretch he's someone who looks so much better when you just kind of watch the highlights of him or even if you watch (laughs) film of his offense because you see some of these flashes like he'll even like put guys in the mix and pull up from the three-point line every once in a while like he Mm -hmm. takes some threes and he's got like a few more ball skills than you would expect for just kind of this rim running center type as well you mentioned the left hand he's got a ton of athleticism a two-point block rate among the top in the nba and you know gets on the offensive glass some but the overall numbers just not efficient at all and this is something like danny and i have been fascinated by him so for you if this is a little bit redundant but for him to be 59 percent true shooting this year that's five percentage points worse than the positional average at center and a fair amount of that is coming from what he's doing outside of the restricted area but even his restricted area finishing numbers not amazing for a center 68 percent for a guy like this like you'd expect him to be in like the 75 percent range of finishing around the rim and then he is he does take a few shots outside of the basket area and you know all right he's 35 percent basically uh, away from the rim and you know he takes a few threes but he's at 14 percent on those so there's uh, i think it's fine that he's kind of trying to explore the studio space but i 
I think it's not a it doesn't encourage me that during the period of, of the season where the Pacers were actually trying that he was intermittently in the rotation when it's not like they have like world beaters at backup center behind Miles Turner and Miles Turner has missed significant time as well. Isaiah Jackson is 21 and plays like it. Yeah, in some ways, I think that's true. But in other ways, I, I think he, it, like, you could chalk up a lot to the youth. But in other ways, you just, like, there are plenty of 21 year old centers who are way more efficient than this. Oh, there. for sure. Um, probably skewed a little bit by those are the ones who get on the court more, right? There are plenty yeah. of 21 year old centers who are, would be less efficient and are buried or not, you know. But yeah, I don't know. Um, to me, he was the he's the most interesting young player on the Pacers uh, as they go down the stretch, just because we haven't seen as much from him, right? Like Ben Matherin's probably more interesting overall, but we've seen so much of him this season. Uh, getting a, a you know more of Isaiah Jackson now. The Detroit Pistons are sixteen and sixty. Our first sixty loss team of the Ugh. season, baby. Four and twenty-five mm-hmm. since our last update. Dude, are they going to lose 66 games? They are, huh? When's the last time a team lost 66 games? In a while. I'm going to look that up real quick. You read the rest of their uh, fundamentals. <laughs> okay. I feel like it hasn't been that long ago. I mean, did, I guess, well, didn't the uh, Celtics win 16 the year before? I think the last team to win fewer than 17 would have been one of those Sixers teams. I think like the 16 Sixers is my guess. I think they went 12 and 70, I want to say. Gave up two second round picks to get Ish Smith so they would avoid setting the all-time loss record, which it's, it's not like they would have been taking it out of the hands of the Sixers franchise though because it was 9 and 73 although the uh the 12 Bobcats at 7 and 59 <laughs> probably should be considered the, the all-time record holder in that so two years ago the Rockets narrowly missed going uh well that's only 72 games okay they did better than that they were 17 and 55 in 2020, the Warriors were 15 and 50. That's not what we're talking about. 2015, 16, Philadelphia 76ers at 10 and 72. Oh, 10 and 72, not 12 and 70. Okay, wow. Yeah, that should have. Yeah, they. Yeah, right. Because they only beat the record by one. That's right. Yeah, because yeah. nine and 73 is the record. Right. Uh, okay, that's, I, I, I'll give myself a little hand for that though. That I was, yeah. Uh, so uh, you get to a 16 and 66 record with a negative 8.4 net rating, 28th on offense, 28th on defense, and they do project Uh-oh. to win. Uh oh, one more game <laughs> by Raptor. I'm gonna and Elo has them for nope. two more wins. <laughs> Well, they do play Houston. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, although, and also, I mean, they almost beat OKC the other night. Anything like they, can happen I think on the last, Who do they close with? Who's their final game? Anything can happen on the last day. Yeah, it looks like it's their last game. The Bulls. Scroll down to the very bottom of the sheet. <laughs> At Chicago. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, so their next game, is that tonight? The Houston game? Oh, it Houston, is. Houston, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm have to watch a little of that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, if they, if they win that game, they're still in danger of catching the Rockets rockets if they win another one so yeah if they if they lose the houston game they can probably win with impunity one more game but uh, danny they haven't won since danny and i did the bet about who will or the watfo of who's gonna <laughs> of whether they would win another game or not this year yes these bottom teams are are doing pretty well at uh at tanking and we, you know, we've got the schedule book with the uh last uh 10 games for each team the bottom three teams in the west are a combined 0 and 11 in that like these bottom teams just are not winning the jazz finally had to have a win because they they played the spurs <laughs> and, no, and I, you can I feel the mavericks in as a bottom team losing all their games 
I mean, one more loss, and they probably should start tanking, honestly. Especially given the top 10 pick protection. Okay, let's get into the Pistons here. James Wiseman time, I saw him amply during his time in Golden State, and be honest not incredibly impressive there have been a few things that i've liked 57 percent true shooting we were just talking about this with isaiah jackson seven points per 100 possessions below the league average for centers he's not blocking very many shots his free throw rate is really bad again you would hope that that would be better but as i watched the film it kind of became clear he's not quite deandre ayton in terms of his like everything is a fadeaway but everything is spinning back right shoulder into a left-handed jump hook he'll drive right every once in a while but it's always spin back into that left-handed jump hook now that left-handed jump hook is pretty effective actually he's shooting 51 percent from three to ten feet most of those are that hook shot he gets great extension on that shot and like that that's a pretty effective shot for him it's the only shot he can get to in these post-ups but you know that's kind of interesting and how has he been posting up it hasn't been as much static every once in a while he'll just get on the block 15 feet away turn and face those always go terrible uh when he does go right right shoulder and get to that hook shot he shoots 50 percent on those and i mentioned he's shooting that 51 percent in that short range but these post-ups only 0.69 points per possession and that's 24 percent of his possessions are post-ups which is a, it's a pretty big number and we should also recall in context 0.69 points per possession we've come a long way jared dubin wrote a, a great piece about this earlier in the year we've come a long way in terms of post-up efficiency from where we were back in the d'antoni days when he called the post-up the least efficient play in basketball Rick Carlisle even said that a couple of years ago and that memorably led to my exchange with him about post-ups for Porzingis and now though because there's so much more spacing and because generally the only guys who post up are ones who are really good at it or they're doing it against a mismatch or a quick duck in post-up efficiency is very high even though the percentage of possessions used by post-ups is much lower but the Detroit Pistons are a big big exception to that <laughs> they're yeah <laughs> because they post up a lot and so i mentioned wiseman not drawing fouls he does kind of fade away into that hook shot and it was it's i mentioned that some of his post-ups are you know these static post-ups get the ball at 15 feet that's not the case most of them are like little duckins and i'll actually give the pistons credit given the guys that they have on the floor that have been acquired that Dwayne casey is supposed to play right if you look at who wiseman is playing with it's basically always another non-shooting big bagley they've started playing him and duran together a little bit although duran has missed some time during the wiseman era as well and who else is even playing oh so he played some with stewart also uh omarui he's played some with he closed the game with him against okc and so they've actually been doing a lot of high lows or he'll just like duck in quickly he's he's pretty active he's got a a big catch radius i will say uh i think his catches have been a little bit better overall like he'll still fumble some plays for sure but he doesn't have a great feel for finishing 72 percent around the rim is just with his physical tools that's kind of poor and he's not getting to the foul line because he just doesn't really have a great feel for how to use his body and if you compare him to someone like Sabonis, who's also like all left hand all the time, but Sabonis, he's left hand and he's physical. He gets the shoulder into guys. He seals. Whereas Wiseman, he's left hand, but he just will like extend over you for a jump hook. And so that's why he's not getting fouled. You don't get fouled on just a regular old jump hook. So uh, he's also turning it over on 16% of his post-ups. Not a big surprise there. And 42% true shooting on his post-ups. So not too great there. We will note, of course, 
that on the way to the negative 14.2 net rating 107 on offense 121 on defense with Wiseman that they don't have any spacing I mentioned he's always playing with two bigs the guards and we're talking about Killian Hayes, Corey Joseph, Jay Nivey playing some point guard. So these are not amazing passers. There's really nobody playing pick and roll with him and setting him up there particularly well. They don't have the spacing to use his vertical gravity. I thought that's where he was having his best moments at Golden State. I think actually his finishing has kind of regressed a little bit since Golden State, where I had been more impressed with his touch around the rim. And then the defense, Dan, I mean, you can hit a few of these stats here. Just awful for the physical tools that he has if you look at the shooting percentage allowed around the room yeah 70 percent uh similar to what is in golden state um he's contesting a fewer a lower percentage of shots in detroit although maybe that's because he's playing with two bigs maybe they're just leaving somebody else to uh protect the rim i i've never been high on his defensive awareness it's probably the biggest reason i've been lower on him uh basically every step of his career um he has some tools but until he improves his awareness and I, I obviously not playing all those years in golden state like that probably set him back even further yeah and even if you compare him to these other guys duran 61 percent shooting around allowed around the rim stewart 61 percent. that's actually bad for him compared to his career even marvin bagley allows 65 percent shooting around the rim. <laughs> so this i mean this is a small sample but again it's continuing what we saw at golden state i mean it's amazing like he'll be there and it's like his hand is just a hologram the ball just like goes right <laughs> through sometimes like and i think the what they worked on him so hard with in golden state was like okay go straight up don't foul i think that that actually kind of fucked him up Hmm. and that he's almost like he's halfway in between trying to block the shot and going straight up and he doesn't have like unbelievable awareness like i when i think he he's had moments in his career like the hoop summit or there's like this one halcyon quarter in summer league against the spurs when he first came in where i think he's at his best when he's just like going crazy and trying to jump at everything and contest everything i think because he's just so conservative now he's so worried about balling i think he's gone so far in the other direction that i would rather he tamp up the aggressiveness to a crazy level and then you try to rein that that in as opposed to where it seems like the coaching has just made him so passive at this point another thing that i hoped that he could do based on his physical tools was to switch and stay in front of guys they tried that some in golden state didn't really work that well his rookie year and there he just the times that he did get switched out and guys in the printer that i saw just was not able to stay in front of them like we're talking about bobby portis blowing by him will barton blowing by him for a layup jamal murray got switched on to him he got blown by him. murray's another guy who you know, that's a little more respectable isaiah jackson aforementioned <laughs> faced up and blew by him for an and one layup so he's just there's this thought like oh he can get more comfortable he can play more i mean he does have guaranteed minutes now but it's just it hasn't looked any better if anything i think he's been a little below my expectations so far and i uh didn't have the highest expectations (laughs) and so i mean as much as people like oh he didn't even get a first for this guy he's got 12 million dollars guaranteed for last year for next year and one of the worst players in the nba so i think for golden state to even get off of him at all was impressive and then to get five second round picks back for him is actually like yeah i know it's disappointing he's the number two pick i think they did well frankly to to 
do that given where he's at right now and and just he's he's 21 now yeah i get it he hasn't played much but this is his third year like he should be showing more at this point the failure is far more clearly getting to a point where it's even debatable whether that return for him was good enough yeah although there really wasn't ever a chance to trade him because he missed that entire second year I probably would have. Well, <laughs> one chance was to not draft him in the first place. Another chance was to trade the pick then because you're in championship contention and you should be going for an immediate upgrade, not a project center. Like, I think there were, I don't know if his trade value went straight down, uh, but it trended that direction pretty sharply. I, I feel like there would have been better moments to do it than when they did. Yeah. I mean, by the time he tore his meniscus, I think it was like, after that, there really wasn't a good time. So. You don't think they would have gotten more for him coming into the season than they did at the deadline? How about how about you dump him before the season and you re-sign Gary Payton the second? You don't think that would have been better? I mean, it probably would have been, but also I think like they they still you still needed to like you they couldn't give up on him that quickly. <laughs> I mean, maybe after summer league, I might have considered it. Um, I mean, I I, I I agree with you. I was on the Lamelo train. I'm sure the they canvassed the league for offers. You know, I'm not like making a trade for you know someone like a Marcus Smart or something, and maybe getting something else for him. Like maybe that's something that they could have done. But I mean, they still won a championship, right? <laughs> they will always have that. However much I criticize the two timelines plan, it worked. They they absolutely can take that victory lap. Can't take that championship away from. Well, them. and I've made this point even about lamello too obviously it was a bad decision to not draft lamello over wiseman but the butterfly effect do they win the championship if they draft lamello like maybe not right like maybe jordan pool just never develops in that sense like maybe jordan pool gave them more than lamello would have in last year's playoffs like there's maybe lamello just would have like gotten hurt or he would have been too crazy for steve kerr and never would have developed himself like there are a lot of things that could have gone wrong obviously that decision was not the correct one knowing what we know now but they did win a championship i'm not gonna say it's because they wasted that pick well, but while we're on the detroit section i mean the number of debates i've had of how many championships would the pistons have won if they drafted carmel anthony instead of darko they probably would have been less likely to win the one in 2004 and more likely to win another one later the net might have been zero same idea yeah maybe that's true bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 investments like acquiring america's largest biogas producer Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Talk Bulls here, 36 and 40. They are 16 and 16 since uh, we last checked in on them. They're actually positive in net rating and they are below 500 because their clutch performance has taken a nasty turn from a year ago. 15th is that 0.7 net rating overall. 24th on offense, 5th on defense. Although watching that game against LA the other day, you wonder again how the hell they got to 5th on defense. 
they project for the 10 seed per raptor 39 wins elo likes them for the same and then they've got a tall order they're two behind the hawks and raptors in the loss column to get out of that 10th seed but they've got a two-game cushion against washington as well so it looks like 10 pretty likely raptor says 21 percent chance of the playoffs elo 29 percent we gotta start off with a mia culpa when we were talking the other week i i was too dismissive of the bulls uh chances in in the play-in tournament they've gone 10 and 7 with Patrick Beverly. And some of these wins are pretty impressive. They beat the Nets by 44. You beat any NBA team by 44. That's that's, that's pretty, not that much, really. That's pretty darn good. They beat the Wizards by 20. They beat the Nuggets with Jokic by 21 in Denver. They beat the Heat by 14. They beat the 76ers with Embiid. They beat the Trailblazers by 28. Uh, that probably does not count toward what I said about beating an NBA team by a sizable margin. They beat the Lakers by 10, though. Um, it's not going perfect, but they are up and down enough that they have a puncher's chance, I think, in any play-in game, a home or the away. Um, Patrick Beverly's getting a lot of credit for this uh, surge by the Bulls. I think he deserves a lot of credit. Um, he's on his shit in a good way where he was on the same shit in a bad way in Los Angeles. I, I think that veteran team, that team that had had some more success they didn't want to hear it it wasn't uh it wasn't well received but his energy his tenacity it's the jolt the bulls need it they seem so stale um and just in turn i do think those things matter that that energy he brings is contagious and this is the team that needed it the other thing he's bringing more tangibly is i think he's taking some of the point guard responsibilities off the plate of zach levine i think there are multiple things going on here but since patrick beverly arrived zach levine's averaging 28 points a game 55 percent field goal percentage 44 percent on three pointers and 89 percent on free throws i think he's just focused more on scoring i also think he's healthier he he looks like he's moving better you know it, more time to recover um from from his prior knee problems and so i think you put both those together and maybe just a little bit of like randomness a hot streak but it's working for levine i i think this really is all in the most tangible senses based on levine uh but to play this way right there there uh Starting Beverly, Caruso, Levina, and then kind of making DeMar DeRozan the de facto power forward. They're susceptible to rebounding problems. Uh, Caruso's playing through foot soreness. Uh, they said he will be the rest of the way. So I, this is tenuous, right? This is not like this is all of a sudden some great team, uh, but they've got more fight in them than I thought. It looks like we're probably headed towards Miami 7. They're two games behind the Nets in the loss column, and the Nets have the tiebreaker. Then either Toronto or Atlanta 8-9, Bulls 10. Mm -hmm. What are your just power rankings <laughs> among those teams? Or just like, like who would you favor in an individual game? Obviously, the 9-10 teams have a tougher road, but just right. as far as like, hey, one of these teams is randomly going to play one of the On other a neutral teams. site, yeah. Yeah, what's it? What's your power ranking? All right, number one is the team with Jimmy Butler. Number seems really reasonable. Number two, you know, I was saying I don't necessarily trust the Raptors' offense, but I've seen enough to like it, and I do trust the defense more. So I guess the Raptors would be two, and then the ugh, I, I think the the Bulls have such variance in how they play. Um, uh, that's very. I, I feel like it's it's closer there in the three four 
I'm going to go with the Hawks, I guess, right? I mean, they've, they've won some more games over the season. Um, yeah, I guess I'll go with the Hawks. How, how would you rank those four? It's fascinating because these are all weird teams. We talked yes. a little bit about, about the Heat. The Raptors are maybe the weirdest team in the NBA. The Hawks also have a lot of defined strengths and weaknesses with Trey Young on, on both ends, mm-hmm. frankly. Uh, but, you know, they've probably got more overall talent in terms of depth. Like the Hawks might actually have the most depth of talent among any of these teams and then the bulls Mm -hmm. are a weird team too where they've got this really good defense but it also feels like they have many schemes that could be exploited by a good team that's really locked in on them with Vucevic defensively and then they also I mean they're starting the super small lineup now DeRozan at the four and but the two good defensive guards and they have all these guys who can't shoot but their center can shoot and Levine is a guy that's really been playing well and so like the Lakers are like no we got to put two on the ball with him and then if you don't have someone who can guard DeRozan one-on-one in an isolation like then you're kind of in trouble like these teams all have such weird strengths and weaknesses that I, I think it'll be I'll be fascinated to see how this East play in works out. Like I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I mean, I I think um, I mean some of this is matchup based, and part of the reason I I took the Heat. You saw they clamped up Trey Young last year. I would expect more of the same this year. Yeah, Trey, I think he had finally a good game against them in their last meeting. I want to say, but it also had some really ugly ones before that. Yeah, and also I like Eric Spolstra the best from a coaching perspective mm-hmm. yep. of that group. And, and then of course throwing that the Heat will in all likelihood be seventh. No seven seed has ever lost a playing game. Um, um, let's get now to the 26. Well, actually, no, we're going to do the Nets next. The Nets are 41 and 35, 14 and 20 since our last update. They're 13th in net rating, 15th in offensive rating, 18th in defensive rating, projected for 45 wins by both systems, 97% and 99% chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, and this team has just been... A little disappointing to me. I, I'm, I realize it's a, a bit of the Island of Misfit Toys that this team was not put together with an entire offseason to address some of their weaknesses, but they've gotten more than ever could have been expected from Mikhail Bridges, of course. And you've got a lot of defensive talent on this team. And you really, they don't play many defensive liabilities. Even Dinwiddie, I think he's got pretty good size for the point guard position. I wouldn't consider him a great defensive point guard, but I wouldn't consider him bad. You had Nick Claxton, who before the trade deadline was considered on the fringes of defensive player of the year. They've got a lot of switchability bridges considered one of the best small forwards as well dorian finney smith was a, another like very quality three and d wing cam johnson's you know not great in the playoffs but it held up pretty well in phoenix last year like they, they definitely have pretty decent players you know seth curry patty mills cam thomas haven't been playing as much for this team so you would have thought they could be pretty decent defensively and particularly i would have hoped that they could have used their versatility to deny penetration and force teams into more more isolations more mid-rangers unfortunately they are 19th this is all since february 11th in location e field goal percentage and they have a negative 4.0 net rating overall they are 7 and 13 since then 
one of the biggest hallmarks of them defensively where the nets sit 18th since the deadline but almost two points per 100 behind number 17 is they give up 29 percent offensive rebounds that's not particularly good and they also are only 24th on offense during that period they also don't get any offensive rebounds during that period interestingly they actually get to the line six best in the nba at that time uh, or during that time now they are in part struggling i went in the location effective field goal percentage because their regular effective field goal percentage is actually now 17th interestingly enough and the rim protection is holding up they're in the top 10 there, lower end of the top 10 part of the reason why the defense hasn't been as good is and i compiled this over the weekend so it might be slightly out of date but their opponents are shooting 39 percent from downtown against them so that will hopefully more normalize and that's being counteracted somewhat by the fact that opponents are missing mid-rangers they opponents shoot the fifth worst percentage on mid-rangers against them and you know a lot of that is just jumpers being missed as well they are giving up a ton of shots at the rim again that's part of why that location effective field goal percentage isn't great and again my theory of them was they would be able to deny penetration and that's not really working uh they are fourth best in preventing three-pointers and so they're they're not really forcing teams into mid-range the way i kind of hoped that they could i thought this is also somewhat sobering dan the numbers with their two best guys you, you agree with me claxton and bridges are their two best guys two best defenders or two best players i mean bridges is their best player claxton's their I, best I defender they're two best players yeah i think that's i'm just thinking like I, I think spencer dinwiddie could make a case as second best player but i i think i would agree with you yeah so they're a negative 1.6 net rating with claxton and bridges on the floor mm. you hope that would be better again with the yeah. two best guys now you're they're suffering from the same opponent shooting luck there uh opponents only shoot 63 percent at the rim against that group so that's you know you got the Claxton rim protection effect there they've been solid on D with that group since the break but on offense they never get to the rim I mentioned that their overall offensive numbers are not great and the Nets with Claxton and Bridges on the floor they're shooting 39.6% from three themselves which I don't think is necessarily going to be sustainable uh it's also very interesting that with Mikhail Bridges on the floor they're a negative 6.3 and they're plus 3.7 when he's off the floor so that's, that's pretty weird as good as he's been and he's also been a guy who's always been great in the plus minus stuff too uh, until this and so this is just kind of a weird team right now like we were not seeing the hallmarks of a dominant defense like all right they're fine but i think if you were hoping that this team could be you know have a similar season to maybe where the raptors were two years ago right maybe you don't have that one dominant guy but you have a lot of versatility and a lot of good players you've got some decent depth with that raptors team didn't have you know, if you're thinking about this team winning in the high 40s going forward which i thought was maybe possible for this group after the trade with the depth that they have during the regular season we're not seeing the outlines of that yet um and then finally last thing people a lot of people wonder hey cam thomas he had those two 40 point games after the trade why isn't he playing well it might have actually even been before the trade i can't remember when they had a bunch of guys out uh when cam thomas is on the floor after the all-star break or, or after the trade deadline excuse me 123.5 defensive rating for the team so that's again that's i'm sure it's not all his fault but that's probably what they're looking at as far as not playing 
Huh. It's crazy that a guy who is known as kind of like a selfish shoot first player could have a couple big scoring games, but not contribute to winning so much. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. I was going to be interesting to say, because I I think part of the challenge here is integrating all these somewhat weird collection of pieces on the fly in the middle of the season. Like is the theory of this team? Is it, is it not as strong as we would have thought? Cause I had a similar impression to you, especially defensively of what this team could be uh, as it got re put together, or is it just, there's not enough chemistry there. And if they had, you know, a training camp and a season to, to get, to know each other would it look more like we expect like that's going to be i think tricky for the front office to evaluate as they figure out what they want to do with this roster over the off season and what to bring in next year dorian finney smith also this is troubling 26 percent from three and not taking about the same volume uh, from three he was 36 percent in dallas before the trade uh remember he was 40 percent there the last two years and then he's shooting 41 percent on two so 31 percent from the field overall for Dorian Finney-Smith since the trade that's rough and it just yeah Spencer Dinwiddie I think he we've kind of seen that he's better off as a secondary on-ball guy we saw how the Mavs struggled when it was just him without Luka and Finney Smith, I think also like he just he needs that guy setting him up. And he was this is something that you always gotta look at when you trade for a guy like him. And this is why Seth's stats are so useful. Looking at him, looking at Bullock, Dorian Finney Smith is basically taking the most open three pointers in the NBA the last couple of years because Luka Doncic is setting him up and you gotta help from somewhere. And so if you're if he doesn't have someone like that around him, like what's it going to look like? I'm sure he's not gonna keep shooting twenty five percent from three, but uh and he hasn't really been able to contribute a ton defensively either uh so that's you just wonder i mean now he's not on a contract that's bad enough that it's going to be a problem like if he becomes a bench piece it doesn't kill you and he's still someone who can fill a role but it's a, i think sometimes we underrate how important it is particularly for like a secondary guy like finney smith to be playing with someone like luca dungeon um can we uh just circle back i i almost guessed him for uh one of the top five uh, most open three-point shooters but he's not quite there this year no i don't think so i i mean well th- yeah that was in pers- in uh this that was what percentage of his three-pointers are considered open but he's like in the you know he's in the 80s so it's it's close enough um yeah okay let's finish up here with charlotte and we're saving boston and philly for later on those teams play each other soon too uh the hornets are 26 and 51 utterly respectable 15 and 18 since we last looked at them and that's with Lamelo not playing a lot of that period and some of the other injuries that they've had as well they're still negative 5.9 net rating is 27th in the nba they are 30th on offense 20th on defense uh, they project for 28 wins they are nice and safe in that 14 seed nice and safe in that four seed in the lottery so their defensive rating uh, was interesting to me it went from sixth worst uh, pre-all-star break to fourth best after some of that uh in terms of their overall stuff maybe there's some three-point luck there uh, it's been 34 point 34% they're giving up on opponent three-point percentage that's the uh, sixth lowest after the break but it was also only 33% before the break which was the lowest uh so whatever three-point luck it's continued throughout the season uh, i think what charlotte's doing defensively starts with transition defense they allow the second fewest fast break points per game behind only the kings and of course kings opponents are taking the ball out of the basket a lot not the same with charlotte charlotte in fact uh is right at the bottom in offense that's the steve clifford effect part one 
Okay. Steve Clifford effect part two. I think the Hornets defensive personnel is not that good. I look down this roster and I am not very impressed. Uh, they also uh, began starting their first round pick, Mark Williams, who's huge, but not that mobile. Yeah, they've also gotten more aggressive. They double team, they hedge. Like This is them compensating for not having good defensive personnel. Why does it work? Because they communicate well. They know their assignments. They rotate well. That's Steve Clifford's coaching. I think this is what he's best at, is getting teams to understand that, to do that. It reminds me a little bit of those Jim Boylan Bulls teams, especially, uh, I think it was Boylan's last season in Chicago. Now, this is not nearly as extreme. They're not as aggressive, but it's the type of more aggressive defensive strategy that can flummox a bad team in the regular season, uh, but get picked apart by good teams, you know, especially if you somehow make it to the playoffs uh, and, and get to play those good teams more often. I do think there's one exception, though. Dennis Smith Jr. is legitimately playing very good defense. And uh, he's somebody I know both of us who are high on in the draft. And uh, yeah, at least and for not me, for his defense, not for his defense. Yep, yep. Uh, I thought maybe there's some defensive potential there, but it was mainly for his offense. I thought maybe, maybe this guy could be a three-level on-ball scorer. Didn't work out. He's the type of player we were talking about earlier of figured out his offense doesn't work in the NBA. You want to stay in the league, defend. Except for he didn't want to stay in the league. He was training for football before the Hornets called. They signed him to an unguaranteed contract. And I'm not sure if he would have made the regular season roster if Lamelo Ball didn't get hurt. He made it. He's playing good defense. He channels his athleticism into defense. Uh, the, the athleticism that impressed us in offense, now using that towards defense. He's strong. He moves well. Uh, he's very good at, it almost feels like he's the same way a typical guard might funnel somebody toward a rim protector. It feels like he's doing that, except for funneling his man to himself because he stays in position to get up and contest the shot himself. Uh, he's second in the entire NBA in uh, estimated defensive plus minus at plus 3.6. Uh, he's behind only Alex Caruso, and he's playing 26 minutes per game, 54 games. I think he's a very legitimate all-defense candidate. I haven't you know, gone through every single guard in depth. Uh, my gut is, you know, Alex Caruso is probably going to be the top of, of my all defensive ballot at guard. Drew Holiday's there. You know, we can go down just real quick a list of, you know, candidates Marcus Smart, Derek White, Dylan Brooks, OG Ananobi, if you consider him enough of a forward. Same with uh, Matisse Thibel, Herb Jones, Jimmy Butler, DeAnthony yeah, Melton. I, I would think quickly. It's the latter of those guys are more forwards. Smith I, is definitely a guard. I would consider them more forwards, but also uh, be comfortable putting them on all NBA at guard, enough a guard to be there if they belong. Lou Dort, KCP, Jose Alvarado, and plenty of candidates. Uh, but I, I think uh, Dennis Smith Jr. is having a year maybe deserves inclusion. No, I think so. I mean, and when you watch him, like he definitely, he makes a lot of plays as a help defender mm -hmm. as well. And he has the elite athleticism. Yeah, it's amazing. As soon as his offense started to suck, he got good on defense. <laughs> And it, he looks so much stronger. He probably is because he was training for football. Like, I, I think he had to swing that adjustment. But this is the strongest I've ever seen him look. And he makes good use of that. Absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, it's just it's too bad that it just his because he's actually has had some moments as just a pick and roll player and, and a passer as well, which for those who followed his career very early on back in high school, he actually kind of fashioned himself as more of that pure point guard type. But God, if he just he just cannot shoot the ball, it, it's terrible. And I don't think it's ever coming back. It's, it looks his jumper looks as bad as ever, although he did, of course, hit one against Dallas. One other thing I don't think you mentioned about their defense. I just came across this we get some other stuff since the deadline the hornets allowing only 62 percent shooting at the rim 
and you know that three-point shooting you mentioned they've, they've had some luck there but that's more legitimate and you know, we'll see but mark williams i agree with you he's kind of immobile but if they're gonna create more pressure on the perimeter outside of him having him back there nick richards i think also can be a presence i mean i think i think sometimes they're creating pressure on the perimeter with him sometimes he's the guy hard hard hedging plenty of times and i i think that's uh in some ways the way they are moving so well and communicating so well in the rotations that's protecting him more than asking him to backpedal uh to get closer to the rim like he's not going to make it in time it's almost like we it feels like their defense is like we know our defensive personnel isn't that good we know we're going to lose a lot of these battles but we're just going to be smart enough to overcome that all right well that's it we made it through Dan the 13 of the 15 that's been a while since we've we've gotten through that so we'll, we'll get to boston and philly at some point later this week i've been like lightly checking twitter we've gotten until this evening for this latest cba deadline seems like they're getting close we already got the news which we'll talk about later of there's the age limit is not going to change so i'm hoping that we have a cba to break down and that'll be our sunday episode but if not uh, we'll have plenty else to talk about no doubt thanks so much for being subscribers you're listening on the free feed great chance to jump in and be a subscriber we of course will break down every single playoff game every single team's off season we'll break down the draft every signing of free agency this is prime time here so if you're gonna jump in you get uh, john hollinger every episode of hollinger and duncan as well this is the time hope to see you on dunk Dun prime if you're on the free feed across america bp supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like building grid scale solar energy in ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in texas it's and not or see what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com investing in america mm-hmm.